Praise God. I, I want to talk to you this morning about a very, very basic subject, something that many of you know. And I haven't talked about this subject, and it's really what it means to be truly born again, again. How many of you know God wants us to be born again? In that born again experience, I know a lot of us have heard this term, this, and I haven't spoken on this so many years, but as I have been doing a study on honor, and as, as I've been reading about what it is to walk in a kingdom and live in a kingdom of honor, I find that in the study of this, this subject is that honor goes clear back to the very time we are born again. It doesn't come later. It doesn't come after we're baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come when we join a church. Do you know that when you were born into the kingdom, you were born into a kingdom of honor? Because God is a God of honor. He lives in an atmosphere, in an environment, in honor. And so when we were born again, God wants us to understand that He comes to birth us into a kingdom of honor. Now many of us have not heard this. Many of you have heard that when you got saved, and many of you have heard preachers and ministries that when you got saved, you were just beat down with the concept that you are sinners separated from God by sin. And that is true. Sin does separate. Sin does, and, and we know the wages of sin is death. Sin doesn't just mean that we're separated from God, but the Bible says being in trespasses and sins, being dead, means that you are absent from the very life of God. And when you're in sin, and you're separated, and you're absent from the life of God, it means that there is no sense or no drawing, there is no cognizant, conscious desire for God. When a man is separated from God, they are usually living under the shadow of shame and under the shadow of guilt and condemnation. The Bible says that the God of this world blinds their eyes. How many of you ever felt like you were blinded before? When you're blind, let me tell you what you're blinded to. You're blinded to the fact that you are created in the image of God. You're created as a son and daughter. Now when you are born in sin, conceived in sin, Psalms 51 says, the Bible says because we're born in sin, our father is the devil. And when your father is the devil, guess what? The Bible also says in John chapter 8 that Satan, Jesus said this of the Pharisees, your father is the father of the devil. And what does he speak? He speaks lies. Everyone say lies. You see, when you're separated by sin, there's nothing you can retain but a lie. And so you live in a lie. What are some of those lies that we used to believe in? Well, we used to believe that doing our own thing made us free. How many of you ever believed that thought that, well, you're doing what I want to do is going to really get me freedom and really get me ahead in life? You come to find out that was a lie. You also come to find out that there was decisions that you made. How many here have ever made decisions 
that you look back on and you come to regret. And you look back and say, wow, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. And, well, I wish I wouldn't have thought those kind of thoughts. And, and you see, one, not only are you separated and disjointed and out of fellowship with God, but the Bible talks about that in the world there is disorder. You see, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of order. When you're not saved, you are in disorder. Your life is chaotic. Your life is stressful. Your life is full of walls. When you are living in sin and separated from God and there's life filled with walls, the Bible says being separated, but thank God for the blood of Jesus who hath broken down every wall and has given us access by virtue of the blood of Jesus. We have access right into the Holy of Holies. Right into the presence of God. Right into the fellowship of our Heavenly Father. But before that, we are in chaos. We are in disorder. We think we have it together. We want to assume and presume. We, we do our best to have it in order. But what we're doing, the Bible says, we have fallen short. We have come short. Basically, living in sin means that you are living far below God's perfect order for your life. So in other words, it, it doesn't matter how many college degrees you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you don't have Jesus, and if you're truly not born again, and born, which means, the word again in the Greek means to be born from above. If you have not been born again, then you're living below. Everyone say below. You're living below God's intended best for your life. I don't know about you, but as a father, I want my kids to have the very best in life. And as much as I think college degrees and careers and, and uh, anything that this life has to offer, Jesus said this, that what good does it do for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I don't know about you, but we, we live in a world today that people will pay a high price for happiness. There's people today that are just lonely. We live in a very lonely, desperate world right now. They're hungry to find significance. There's young women, there's young men, they will pay any price to find happiness and find love. Today, young girls in our high schools will give themselves because of the, the, the peer pressure upon young people today to find acceptance, find significance, find somehow to fit in if they don't give in to the peer pressure of sex and give in to the peer pressure to join some kind of a club or if they don't take drugs. I have a brother. I have a brother, one year younger than me, for 20 Five, 30 years of his life when he was in high school. Raised in the same home I was. Raised in a Christian home. But when he was in high school, was looking for significance, looking for value, looking for some kind of way of fitting in. And there were some friends that took Ron out. By the way, parents, I want to just say to you parents, that any time you 
have a teenager that gets to that age where they say, Hey, Dad, Mom, I'm 16 years of age. I want my driver's license. I want you parents to realize that when you give them a driver's license, you are giving them a privilege. You are giving them power. Everyone say power. When you give them power, you are giving them power to make their own decisions when they are by themselves. And if they have not learned to be responsible at home under your authority, and you give them a license, whether it's a... I think the two most deadly things parents can give their kids today is a cell phone and a driver's license. Oh, Pastor, I know some teenagers are hating me right now, but I know you'll, you'll love me later. Amen. I'm not kidding you. There's nothing more that will get your daughter pregnant than a driver's license. Or a cell phone. Or your son's. The same thing. Oh, Pastor Ray, this is legal. No, it's not legalism. It's just common sense. I want to tell you something. If your child hasn't learned to respect and honor you at home first with the minor things, don't expect them to honor you when they ask you for a driver's license. I guarantee you, it will come back to you like mud in the face. It will slap you hard. And I have learned one thing. I remember my father, no kidding, my dad, years ago. I remember turning 16, I said, Dad, it's time to go to DMV and get my driver's license. He said, why? I said, because I'm a man. He said, no, Ray, you're not a man. And then, you know what he did? No kidding. My dad took my hand. He didn't take my hand, but he he said, come here, follow me. So he goes into my bedroom. So what have I got to go in the bedroom for? He says, look at your bedroom. Well, I knew it looked like a hurricane and a tornado hit it. He says, how many times have we asked you to be responsible here to pick up your bedroom? Oh, come on, Dad. I I, I know I'm a slop, and I know I'm a pig, and I know I can't clean my bed. You know, and I, 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 and he says, Ray, I really want to give you a driver's license. I want you to have a driver's license. But I, if I can't trust you here, how can I trust you when you're not looking, when, I, when I'm not looking at you? So th- these are just simple things like that. And, and, and I, I, actually, I didn't mean to get on that. But back to being born again. Part of our problem with the whole born again experience is is that when we've been taught the concept of being born again, we, some of us have come to the Lord, come into church with, like a dog with our tail between its legs. We, we come like a whipped pup. Because we've, been, we've heard doctrine, we've heard teaching, that you are a sinner, and look what you did to Jesus. You put Him on the cross. And so, oh, I did all that? Yeah, your sin, your sin. Oh, I, oh, oh my God. I didn't know, I'm really bad, I'm evil, oh, I'm evil, evil, evil. And so, people have come to the idea that, you know, I'm really bad, oh, look what I did to Jesus, I put him on the cross, I'm a horrible person, I'm a horrible person. And they actually come to think that that's what repentance means, is by beating you down and making you feel bad that you put the Lamb of God on the cross. And if you feel bad enough, and you do enough penance, and, you, and, and if we can get you to, to that point where you're really feeling sorry for yourself, then, then you're born again. 
And then we actually, preachers have done this, we actually have bred into people a false sense of humility. Let me tell you what false humility is. False humility, and some people believe that this is the idea of being born again, is, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm so unrighteous and not worthy. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Let me tell you, when you're, a sa- when you're saved by grace, you are no longer a sinner. God has transformed you out of the kingdom of darkness from being a slave to being a son and a daughter. You are not a sinner saved by grace anymore. But, but see, here's the problem. The church has not been established on a healthy biblical foundation. And what, what's happened is we're, we're a society that is so busy. We haven't been disciples. Let me tell you something. I ask a lot of people that come through the doors of our church, have you ever had a healthy foundation in your life? And they'll say, well, I've gone to a few classes. I said, no, have you ever been discipled in the Word of God? Have you ever? Well, not really. Then I said, how do you know that what you think and how you live in the kingdom is healthy? You know, I asked a doctor years ago, uh, in fact, it was one, one of our sons, one of my sons, our sons were giving, Carol was giving birth to one of our sons, and uh, we were going to the hospital, I was going to the hospital, Carol was in the hospital, and she was recovering from giving childbirth, and I remember that in the, the baby room, the, 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 uh, the nursery, I happened to see in the nursery a baby that was born premature. And uh, there was an actual birth defect on the child. I could actually see it. By the way, that child was still beautiful, still wonderful. It's a child, but there was a birth defect. And I remember asking a nurse, I said, how come there are birth defects in children? And the nurse said the simple reason is one, after conception, the child does not come to maturity or they don't develop or there's a problem during the birthing process. And so it's called a birth defect. Years later, the Holy Spirit really laid on my heart that there are people today that they're born again, but they have spiritual birth (laughs) defects. They have not developed in a healthy way. They, They... and, you know, if you ever see a birth defect, and all of us, we can understand those things, and we don't judge anyone by that in any way, shape, or form, but a birth defect means that a person is not able to properly function in a normal way or what we think may be a normal way. And there's some kind of a defect there. But the Lord impressed on me that even spiritually and emotionally, there can be a spiritual birth defect. And when we have a spiritual birth defect, what that means is we're living below what God's intended potential is for our life. Now, the purpose of this message is to get us back on track. Amen? Now, this morning, you may fail. well, what, how do I know if I have a spiritual birth defect? Well, first of all, when you begin to constantly criticize and when you empower the devil's lies over the Word of God in your life, you have a spiritual birth defect. When you begin to see 
how little the when you begin to see how uh, how empty the glass is half full rather than and how empty it is there's a defect there when you begin to constantly go around amen the same mountain of problems in your life there's some people that never really break free of certain habits or sins there is a defect there now that doesn't mean that you're a problem or you're an accident or you're a mistake that doesn't mean that but it means that somewhere the truth has not made you free okay it means that now God is a God who when he does a work he does a complete work he does a work that not only launches you but he's a God who propels you into something that's so powerful and so great and, and, and so when we, when we don't know the truth to make us free, we find that we become stunted in our growth. We become stunted in our faith. We become critical of ourselves, critical of others, and we actually think that's humility. That's not humility, that's false humility. God wants you to have a proper and a healthy assessment of who you are. I, I hate to say it, but even today in the United States today, you know, one of the things that made America great, how many of you believe America is still a great nation? But there are leaders today that would like to suggest that we need to stop talking about the greatness of who we are, and we, need to, and we have leaders in our country that have what I call as a poverty mentality. And we need to lower that sense of greatness. And we need to strip ourselves from the greatness of who we are. And we need to get down to where some third world nations are so they can identify with us and we can identify with their so-called low kind of thinking. Do you know why America was great? Because there were founding fathers who built this nation on the philosophy and the ecclesiology of the Word of God. It's not because of our intellect, our education, our, our, our military power, or splendor. It wasn't because we happened to be, be uh, planted in this hemisphere. It is because of God's blessing and favor on this nation upon men and women. The very first Congress started with a three-hour prayer meeting calling on the Lord, asking God for His guidance and wisdom as leaders to lead this nation. The reason why America has been great and God has been faithful over all these 250 years is because there were men and women 250 years ago that entered into a covenant with God about this nation. God has been faithful to that nation, to this nation. It's not because of our recent leadership. Our recent leadership now, and many, I'm not just talking Democrats, Republicans, it's all sorts. So many of us have a poverty mentality. And now we, we have taken this idea that we're not great at all. We're too arrogant. We're too proud. And we've taken, the, the pendulum has swung the other way. Where now we think that we need to beat ourselves down and pull ourselves down. And if anybody prospers, we're going to pull it out from underneath you. You can't be too wealthy. You can't have too much favor. You can't be too rich. Because if you do, I'm going to pull it out from underneath you and make you suffer. Because there's too many people around here that are suffering and you need to suffer with us. That is a wrong, unbiblical mentality. 
I'm not talking about just wealth. I'm, I'm talking about the way you understand. See, when Jesus taught and brought the message of the kingdom, it was a message of favor and blessing. It was a message of greatness and power. It was a message of honor and glory. God never intended for you to be a victim all your life. And I, I want to tell you something else when it comes to the concept of the kingdom. I'm tired of pastors standing up behind pulpits and saying, the church is a hospital for you broken people. Now by the way, should we heal our wounded? Should we reach out to our broken? Absolutely. But you know what? I'll tell you, I'll never forget going down here to Baylor at Garland one time. And I went to visit someone who in our church was there. But while I was walking down the hall, I happened to see a person that I had seen there six months earlier in the hospital room. And I walked by and I put my nose in there. I said, man, didn't I see you here six months ago? These were people that didn't come to their church. Because I, I prayed for this guy. He says, yeah, well, I've been in the hospital a long time. I said, why? How come you're still here? Well, I just got problems. Problem, 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 problem. I said, well, well I'll tell you, we're, we're going to pray and we want to get you out of this hospital. My point is, guys, is this. Is that when we think that the church is doing nothing but just treating the sick, and if all you are is always sick all the time, and you can never get out of the hospital and become a warrior in the kingdom, then something's wrong. God never intended for you to be a victim and sick and laying in a hospital and just being nurtured by doctors. And our society is turning this way. Our society is turning into a society where, you know, you're poor and you're hopeless and you can't get a job and so, oh, we're just going to keep giving, 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 enabling, 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 and keeping you. And we never see those people come to a point where they break out of that poverty in that victim's mindset into that place of true victory in glory and power. God never intended for us to just live in the hospital and be victims. God intended for you not to even be survivors. He called you to be overcomers. He's called you to be a representation in the earth of His glory. Now I understand there's times where people need healing and they need compassion. Absolutely. We need to pour in the compassion. We need to pour in the love. But we're not going to enable you to stay as a victim all your life. We're going to help you understand what it is to be born again, really understand the victory you have in Christ, help you to be a winner, help you to be an influence in your community, help you to understand what it is to be a kingdom representative. So that, that's, that, now I know that what I just said here could be offensive. I know that. In fact, even in Luke chapter 5, or John chapter 5, one day when Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda, the Bible says that there was a man laying there for 38 years. Can you imagine laying by a pool, waiting for the stirring of the water? And the Bible says that Jesus came, and it, says Jesus, it said that Jesus knew that he had been there a long time, and asked this man this question. It's an interesting question. He says, do you really want to be made whole? 
I mean, that, that's almost a slap in the face. Do you really want to be made whole? And the, this was his response. Lord, I have no man to help me get in the pool. When I try to get in the pool, somebody else jumps in before me and I just can't get in. I'm just sitting there, I'm a victim. Jesus said, arise, take up your bed, and walk. In other words, Jesus dealt with the excuses. In other words, it's time to rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Stop looking. You know, let me tell you something. One of the reasons, I've often wondered in that text, why in the world weren't other people healed in that passage? And the Lord spoke to me one day. He said, you know why all these others weren't healed? Is because everyone had their eyes on the pool rather than their eyes on Jesus. When all you have your eyes on is what everyone else is looking at, the reason why the others weren't healed is because everyone else was looking at the same thing. And what were they doing? Waiting. Everyone say waiting. God is saying to the church, it's time to stop waiting. It's time to stop analyzing and looking and making. It's time to arise, take up your bed, and walk. And that's when we begin to do that, what's going to happen? You're going to find the power of God resting on you. Amen? How many of you are for that? Now, I want you to see a Scripture... And uh, let me see if I can get this here. Okay. David, help me up here, would you? I don't know why my thing's not working. Thank you, folks. This is how the Lord humbles me here. I'm just kidding. What did I do? Okay, I want to read a scripture to you in Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.16. This is what happens. This is the way the Lord sees you when you're saved. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in the midst, in your midst, the Mighty One will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame, gather those who were driven out, and I will appoint them for praise and fame. I want everyone to say praise, praise. and fame. Praise. Say it again. Praise, praise. and fame. Praise. This is a messianic prophecy concerning the coming of Christ, and that when He will come, He's going to appoint those who are under approach, those who are lame, those who are broken, I'm going to appoint you for praise and fame. Now turn to your neighbor and say, do you know you're famous? 
God intended for you to have fame. Now, it's not all about you. It's about Him in you. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? He says, I'm going to appoint them for prayer. He did not say, I'm going to appoint them to humble them, to be lowly, under false humility. I'm going to appoint them to try harder. I'm going to appoint them to work harder and be better people. No, I'm going to appoint you for praise and fame. In every land where they were put to shame at that time, I will bring you back. Even at that time, I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the people of the earth when I return your captivities before your eyes, saith the Lord. Is that not a powerful scripture or what? That scripture has to do with you. Right now. God says at that time I will deal with all those who afflict you. This is a prophetic scripture, prophetic messianic passage in Zephaniah, this minor prophet who foretold the coming Messiah. My point in this is when we come to the understanding of what it is to be born again, God never intended to bring a new you to you, to bring you, or to make you a new you, and add the new you on an old you. God never intended to make you a better person. He doesn't intend to improve on the old you. No, He completely did away with you. In fact, let me put it this way. The old you doesn't even exist. Let me give you kind of a horrible metaphor to explain this. Years ago, I had one of my sons when they were babies. And I was in a predicament where one of them really had a nasty poopy diaper. And I was in a situation where I didn't have any diapers. But you know what I had? I had a lot of baby powder. So I pulled the pants off and I doused that poor kid with baby powder, pulled the pants up, and I intended to move on. Later, I found a diaper in the church and because I was hard pressed, I put the new diaper with powder over the old diaper, pulled his pants and kept going. My son looked at me. Someday, Dad, I will get you. <laughs> no, not really. Now you say, Pastor, what in the world would you give such a horrible example? Well, let me tell you something. That's what some people think being born again is. Is God putting a new diaper over your old diaper? No. When God comes to bring new birth in your life, He comes to remove all of the old, and he comes to renew your life with something brand new. <clears throat> Amen? Now you'll never forget that message. Because being born again is not just God coming and putting something new over your old. And that's what a lot of people think. That's why they're not born again. Because they haven't learned to surrender some of those things that they're dependent on. Everyone say, let go. So when I come to Christ, 
This is where, okay, Father, wow, i got a lot of stuff that stinks in my life. i got to learn to let it go. It's amazing, though, how we kind of cling on to that stuff. We cling on to our old thinking. We hang on to our old poverty and ways of thinking, and we don't understand. Now jump with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and i got to move, and my time's moving here. John chapter 3. This is where the concept is brought out when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisee, man by the name of Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, chapter 3, verse 1 of John, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Jesus answered, said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old, enter in the womb the second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Everyone say, flesh is flesh. What that means is this. That which is born of flesh, that which means this. That which is birthed or born of a carnal nature or a carnal way only produces carnal results. It's possible to think you've been born again when you come to God on natural terms. When you come to Him from your own natural understanding. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Some people believe, well, you know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, I need religion. I know what i got to do. i got to lay the cigarettes down. i got to lay the playboys down. I can't go to strip clubs anymore. I can't drink beer. Okay. Now I'll start going to church. I'll go and get a t suit and a tie, and I'll start getting religion and put my religious hat on. That's what it means, flesh with flesh. See, God's not asking you to improve on the old you. And it's not making New Year's resolutions. Jesus said that which is flesh will result in flesh. It will result in a dead end. It will result in carnal attempts that will bring no kind of lasting change. But he says that which is spirit is spirit. Which means faith. Born of the Holy Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes. You hear where the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. What Jesus is really saying here is that because it's the work of the Holy Spirit, you are not going to be able to figure this out in a very logical or rational way. He says the wind blows. When it blows, you don't know where it comes. You don't know where it's going. All you know is that you, you know it's just blowing. What God is saying is you're going to know. You're going to know that you know that you know, but you're not going to know how all of this thing works out. So God says to Nick, Jesus said to Nicodemus, don't worry about all the logistics and how this all rationally and logically works out because it's a work of the Spirit that requires faith. It's a work of the Spirit. In other words, we cannot be born again by trying to figure this thing out in your own natural mind. It's a work of the Spirit by faith. Everyone say, by faith. by faith. The Bible says that we come to God by faith. We're saved through grace by faith. That means that simply this, is that when we come to God's Word and His promises, we embrace those things as though they are true. We embrace it as though it is truth. Nicodemus answered and said, and how can these things be? 
Jesus answered and said, Are you a teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things? Here's a religious doctor and scholar of the law, and Jesus says, You mean to tell me, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't even know these things? Almost an insult. Most assuredly, I say unto you, we speak what we know, and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, now, now really grasp verse 12 and 13. If I tell you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Everyone say heavenly. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who was in heaven. Jesus is making something oh, so powerful. He is saying that your born-again experience is a heavenly experience. It's going to bring heavenly results. In other words, when you are born again, heaven has been born inside of you, and you begin to see things from heaven's perspective. You're no longer seeing them from a natural perspective. Point number one. What does it mean to be born again? Number one, to be born again means that He opens your eyes to a whole new world. Jesus said, if any man will see the kingdom of God, he must be born again. In other words, the born again experience opens your eyes and it causes you to enter into legitimate experiences. Your eyes should be open. Well, what should my eyes be open to? The riches of His grace. Your eyes are open to the fact that His grace has been sufficient. You know, Jesus, when He would talk about grace, when Jesus was even referring to, uh, uh, in Luke chapter 15, it says that sinners and and, and publicans would come and sit and eat with Jesus. And the Pharisees marveled how that Jesus that would eat with sinners. And the, one of the most powerful stories that Jesus told these, these sheep herders and these, these individuals who worked in the market, he began to sit down and he told them stories that could make sense to them. And he began to convey to them as far as the Lord and how he thinks about his people. He talked about this, this farmer who had, had, a hundred sheep, and one of his sheep was lost. And Jesus said that he left the 99, and he goes after the one sheep. When Jesus was telling these farmers and these shepherds this story, they understood the significance because many of these shepherds, their livelihood was their sheep. And many of those sheep themselves would literally put their life on the line to protect their livelihood. And so when Jesus used the illustration of going after the one lost sheep, Jesus was illustrating to those people that every individual is important. Every individual. You are worth leaving the 99. And you are worth investing my life and my purpose into finding you. I will search you out. I will find you. No matter where you are, I will find you. The God of heaven will find you. No matter how far you are away from Him, He will find you because you're worth it. 
He opens your eyes to the fact that you are His treasure. You're valued. You're important. Your true nature, your true father, your high calling. You begin to see the value of who you are. You are valuable to him. Can you say amen? Now I'm going to close right here because I just need to call. I feel the Holy Spirit just said this is it. Being born again starts with the Holy Spirit opening your eyes. God wants to open your eyes. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? That when a man turns to the Lord, a veil is lifted off his eyes. And the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. How many of you know when you begin to see things, God begins to set you free? All of a sudden, you're walking in a new freedom. You're no longer governed and guided and dominated by fear. You're free from fear. You're free from the fear of man. You're free from the fear of the past. Let me tell you something. In Christ, you have no past. In Christ, you have no past. There is no past. Because you know what? You were not even a person. You couldn't. The Bible says you were dead. So that means your past doesn't even exist. It doesn't exist because you have no past because you were dead in trespasses and sins. You have no... Everyone say, I have no past. (laughs) The only thing you have is a present. And you know what you are presently? You're a son. You're a daughter. You're no longer a slave. You're a son and a daughter. You have no past. Some of you right now are haunted by your past. Do you know that in the kingdom of God, in the eyes of Jesus, you have no past? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that just be freeing to know that? You can't say, well, I, I was a drug addict. No, you have no past. Well, yeah, well I, I was an abuser. I was abu- no, you have no past. Well, I, I, uh, I, uh, I got a felony record. No, no, you have no past. The Apostle Paul... In 2 Timothy, said, before I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor. But the Bible says, but he who called me is faithful. And it says, he counted me faithful. How could God count Paul faithful with that past? It's because when Jesus died on the cross and took care of his sins, that meant he had no past. And since he has no past, and he's found in Christ a son set free, that means he's faithful. He has no past. Everyone say, I have no past. Some of you, you just can't let go of that one. You can't let go of that. You have no past. You have no sin that is held against you. Psalm says that if the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand? You have no past. Being born again starts out with you being able to see a whole new world. And it shows you as a child of God in honor, in royalty, in full acceptance of your heavenly Father. Highly blessed. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's richly, He's robed you with His righteousness. Can you say amen? Just bow your heads this morning.